This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, June 13th of 2019, it's episode 155. In this episode, Brian and Mike from Geek at Arms join us to talk about the unwritten rules of our game tables. Plus, lunch, drink trays to the face and feng shui actual plays, playing Monopoly right, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. I'm Brian. And I'm Mike. Hey, we got one, two, three, four, five people on the mic today. This is going to be an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. All right. So we have Brian and Mike from the Geek at Arms podcast joining us today. Guys, y'all doing all right? Doing great. Doing, w- doing well. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Go ahead and introduce yourselves real quick because you guys are fascinating. Uh, the three of you, we have two thirds of geek at arms here unfortunately or fortunately because we have two-thirds of you and that's great yeah two-thirds is better than none yeah exactly so go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us a little about geek at arms and yourselves and what you do well i'm brian i'm a visual effects artist in uh, hollywood california and i like to talk about nerdy stuff whenever i can and i'm also an officer with the christian gamers guild have been for about 10 years now and my name is Mike. I'm an ordained minister in uh, the Church of the Nazarene. I think that you guys are collecting denominations on the show. So if you have, yes, a, that's true. Yep. Yes, you can. You can just check that one more off in the Wesleyan Armenian tradition. Excellent. So I serve it as an associate minister, and to pay the bills, I do higher education marketing here in the Boston area. Very nice. And tell us about Geek at Arms. Why don't you take that one this time, Mike? Sure. Uh, Geek at Arms is, I think, really James's brainchild, where he had this idea that where Brian, James, and I were all living in the Kansas area together. I think that Brian and James are both originally from Kansas, mm-hmm. and uh, we used to hang out, but I moved to the East Coast, Brian moved to the West Coast, and James moved to Texas. And he had this idea of why don't we just get together do a podcast and we could sort of keep up with each other and just share what's going on in each other's lives. And we'll keep it focused on this geekdom, geek culture. And we wound up joining the Christian geek community, which we didn't really know, or at least I didn't know that there was any of until a year after we started doing the podcast. And we just kind of found our groove and have been enjoying doing it with each other and we're really glad that other people like it too awesome in your defense there's definitely more of it now than there was when we started so you joined at a good (laughs) time and also you've done a good job geographically surrounding any issue you talk talk about so well done yeah (laughs) yeah I, i have been enjoying uh listening to episodes of geek at arms it's really good i like that you guys are are serious about what you discuss it's very nice to to hear i listen to a lot of very funny comedy podcasts and i also like you know these serious dives into things so it's it's really excellent i really enjoy listening to it while playing like those really chill sort of like environment building games Mm -hmm. i've really been enjoying that it's a good combo both very very serious but relaxing if that makes (laughs) sense yeah, and I'm kind of late to the late to the party on this particular one, but I've definitely been enjoying what I've listened to as well. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm super late to the party too. I'm just saying, <laughs> I tend <laughs> well, to listen you. to things at 2.5 times the speed. I I used to have so much more time to 
listen to podcasts back when I was a receiving manager for Barnes & Noble because I, I was basically by myself in a receiving room sorting books for eight hours a day. Not so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, for for me, my commute, a lot of my free time at home, and the solid hour that I have before the library opens every day where it's just me alone in a quiet space, <laughs> that's podcast time. That's that's good podcast time. Yeah. 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 The days that I take the train are the days that I usually use my podcast and reading time. And it's it's usually great because you can just listen to whatever's going on and you can shut out what's around you until some podcaster drops the word funcilitator in the middle of your yeah. commute and you're on the train going. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Well, my commute's through Hollywood. So if I'm talking to myself or laughing out loud, nobody notices. You fit right in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's probably somebody on the train with a business card that says funcilitator in Hollywood. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. Or at least somewhere in LA. <laughs> they owe me royalties. <laughs> we have not we have not trademarked or copywritten Funcilitator. Please use it however you like. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't matter because nobody ever makes a profit in Hollywood anyway, so your royalties are always zero. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Creative accounting. <laughs> Again, it's great to have you on. Really appreciate you joining us. And want to mention two things real quick. First, um, want to give you guys a chance to to plug something, whether it be Geek at Arms, you know, in more detail or something else up to you. But also, you were on another podcast, uh, Retro Rewind podcast. I was. Yeah, they're a great show. Uh, actually, patrons of ours, which we really appreciate. And also in that that Christian geek sphere, though perhaps less explicitly Christian. And yeah, it's a really good episode. You guys were talking about Cowboy Bebop. So yeah. I was kind of floored that that invitation came out of the blue. I was like, oh, well, yes, I have seen Cowboy Bebop and I would love to watch it again. <laughs> good choice. Nice. Yeah. So I, I will put a link to that in our show notes because it, it's a really good episode. Deserve it. And of course, we'll link Geek at Arms uh, and your Twitter feed as well and stuff like that. Uh, go ahead and plug something for us. Again, whether it be Geek at Arms to kind of talk a little bit more about your show or something else. Up to you. All right. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about Hope Fostered, which is my brother-in-law is an ordained missionary with the Assemblies of God reaching out to the foster care system in Kansas. They are currently raising money. If you, that's something that's on your heart, if you, if you feel like, hey, foster kids are really getting the short end of the stick and I'd like to find some way to help them. They are itinerating. They are, are raising money. If you search for Hope Fostered on Facebook, you can find them and maybe toss them a little bit of money if you feel so led. Yeah, I will find them and make sure there's a link to them in the show notes as well. Much appreciated. A couple of quick podcast news and notes before we get to our Patreon question. First of all, another episode that you need to listen to, City on a Hill, put out an extra bonus episode. And this is a Feng Shui 2 episode. Yeah, this was run by our part-time editor, Justin. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Ben and I from uh, City on a Hill played in this, and it was a Feng Shui 2 game. So we did kind of like a action movie brawl on a riverboat casino in what I would say is kind of the trademark light and non-lethal City on a Hill style. Um, lots of fun, lots of craziness, surprisingly effective drink trays. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely it's it should be a fun listen. When you kicked that off, I almost thought you were going to get through the uh, thing without any combat again when you were talking your way past the first guards. You know what? Even I can't avoid combat in Feng Shui. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten pretty good at it, 
but Feng Shui has defeated me. <laughs> At that point, it's more, you know, expressing values through non-lethal descriptions of combat in Feng Shui, I think right. is kind of what that comes down to. That, which is why I, you know, called out that my character was using beanbag rounds in his shotgun, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. No more spoilers, though. Go listen to the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that I want to mention, and we will talk more about this in our next episode for a couple of reasons, uh, mostly time and not leaving our guests in here going, oh my gosh, shut up, Grant. But, <laughs> you know, uh, my wife ran her first RPG session. That's fantastic. It's great. Uh, and she did what I thought was a really good job. She ran Innocence, World of Darkness Innocence, which is kind of Monster House, the RPG. <laughs> yeah, Goosebumps, the RPG. Yeah, yeah, that works. It's it is kind of that young adult horror. It's got a little bit of the world darkness, world of darkness vibe to it, but kind of feels like its own thing, which is nice. And she did a really good job. We got a lot of stuff set up and ready to go. And the next session, it's going to be the whole thing is going to be two, maybe three sessions. We're going to start getting some actual supernatural stuff. But this time, we saw that there was a new kid who moved into sort of the, the nearby neighborhood and they have a dog and he's a bit of a bully and is real mean at soccer. What well, one thing that I do want to call out real quickly about this, cause it won't take long. Something that Chrissy did right that a lot of new GMs don't do right is she was very, very good at giving us space to express character. Mm-hmm. Hmm. She like, I, as a more experienced GM, sometimes have trouble with that as I keep stuff going. I fill silences and Chrissy did not do that. She she actually let our characters have some space to breathe. Yeah, worked really well. That was it worked out exceptionally well for what we were doing. But we'll talk about that more next week because we'll have played at least one more session and we won't have guests on that we're, you know, taking time <laughs> away from. Yeah, exactly. But we are hoping to wrap it up in the next session or two, and it'll be really fun. We'll talk about it then. Anyway, good stuff. I'm going to roll for our Patreon question. Uh, As a reminder to everybody, if you like our show, you can support us on Patreon. And one of the perks of doing so is if you support us for even just a dollar a month, you get to give us a big list of questions, and we put those on a table, and we roll those. And these can be questions about absolutely anything. So let's go ahead and roll and see what we come up with. And of course, Brian, Mike, Feel free to join us on this one. Okay. We put out a call and we kept saying like, hey, you know, give us questions about like hot dogs or what we ate for lunch, that sort of thing. Sean Stoffer wants to know what we had for lunch and says, you asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) We did. (laughs) We did do that. We did do that. Uh, I will start. Mine's the easiest. I didn't have lunch. (laughs) Oh, no. I I had brunch. It was very, I had, I kind of just stuffed my face full of macaroni salad. There's this macaroni salad that I get at the grocery store basically in bulk because it is easily refrigeratable. It it fits really well in the the little mini fridge that we have in in the office at work, and it's tasty. And uh, the the containers it comes in are really reusable as well. I like the containers a lot. Oh, that's nice. So I had that. It was it's it's beautifully creamy, tasty, unhealthy. (laughs) <laughs> I had an amazing lunch that I packed and left in my fridge. So, oh, 
Instead, I well, if, fortunately, it was bagel day at work, and I always have veggies and fruits that I keep with me. Mm. And I kind of grazed on uh, sugar snap peas all day, which oh yeah, there are worse things to graze on. Yeah, yeah there are. Like whatever I grazed on today. <laughs> For me, uh, I got to go out to lunch today, uh, which was kind of nice, and uh, went to a little place called Tropical Grill. I don't know if how big a a chain this is. There are four or five locations in Greenville, but I don't know if it's a, a regional or national thing or not. It is certainly not international. I've never heard of this. Yeah. W- what's cool about it is it's really healthy food. It's pretty much like rice bowls with different toppings of different sorts. And so what I had was a, a chicken fresco with yellow rice, chicken, onion, cilantro, and a jalapeno ranch sauce. I was with you till you got the jalapeno. I would like that. Might that might make ranch palatable to me. <laughs> yeah, it's. Actually, I don't. Th- I don't even think it's ranch. I think it's just like a, a creamy jalapeno sauce because they have a huh. garlic ranch as well. That's mm. super garlicky. Their sauces are really good. Like they have a. Um, I don't know. They have all sorts of really good stuff. So it's it's extremely healthy, which is really nice. Uh, feels really fresh and not super heavy. So I enjoyed it. Well, today was Thursday, so I had Jersey Mike's. The uh, number nine mini on wheat with some of those salt and vinegar chips. Ooh, my favorite. Yeah, those are they're, good. They're great with lemonade. I love that. Huh. Mm, yeah. Okay. Good choice. And I had leftovers. Uh, my wife made a batch of um, her Bourbon Street chicken, which is like cut up chicken thighs in like a soy sauce, uh, bourbon, molasses, olive oil kind of glaze i guess that gets baked in the oven for a while and then served over rice and it reheats beautifully and it did today it was very good that sounds great yeah. all right well there you go sean we did ask for it now you know well done and hey that leaves us plenty of time for our actual episode topic so yeah because yeah. <laughs> we got five people and this we have a lot of notes on this one five pages so yep. oh boy you're in for it now folks <laughs> all right but again if you want to support us on patreon patreon.com slash saving the game And you can do so there. And we really appreciate all your support of all sorts. Let's get to our scripture for this episode. And we've got three passages that we want. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Uh, This is Psalm 119, 15 and 16. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So this is Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So our topic tonight is 
unwritten rules, the unwritten rules that we have at our gaming tables and elsewhere, I do think every table has some unwritten rules. Would, would everybody agree with that that basic premise? Absolutely. Yeah, I think in general, most societal rules are unwritten. Well, that's that's certainly true. We, we, we don't directly say... Like, I mean, I guess we technically do have, like, laws that say, hey, don't just, like, randomly slap somebody in the face for no reason. Like, Yeah. I mean, we did just do an episode on the t- Ten Commandments last episode. We, we did do that. But, like, a, a lot of stuff like, don't hold eye contact for too long. Don't right. yeah. continue to ramble on without letting other people into the conversation. Those are sort of unwritten rules that we generally have in society. Everything I am trying to teach my three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, and chew with your mouth closed um you know like don't take the last whatever without asking somebody you know and and the yeah. weird ones we're not even conscious of like which end is the right end to start eating a pie or which mm-hmm. way do you hold flowers when you're carrying them and you'll find that even in some cultures those unwritten rules are different than yours which is pretty fun to observe interesting so i want to kind of hand this off to to Mike and Brian a little bit because you were the ones who suggested this topic and you had a lot to say about it. And I'm really excited to hear kind of where where you want to start with this. Well, I think that perhaps one of the most obvious places to start is with house rules is because every table has house rules in your game. Um, And one of the things that I think is the most fun about the RPG that I tend to gravitate towards which is the Star Wars D6 RPG, just as a heads up as to where my examples will come from, Star Wars is kind of where I have lived my gaming life. We're going to bring some of that in. Right there in the rulebook, it says on page 69 of your revised and expanded editions, if you have them, no rule set can cover every situation. It's expected that you will make up new rules to suit the needs of your game. I don't know if they put that in there because... You know, they needed to give some GM some empowerment to make up rules against rules lawyers, or if they just knew this is the way that games work. I would like to think it's a little of both, actually. Yeah. Certainly not every gaming company has learned that lesson, so... Palladium! <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, because I was going to let you Peter, have me but... for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I think you're right that... I've been doing a lot of reading on a lot of storytelling games and that sort of thing recently, and that idea that you can always change the rules and make up new rules is is kind of like the the unofficial rule zero of every role-playing game, mm-hmm. along with, hey, it's all imaginary, let's have fun. Yeah, right. I think that's kind of a default rule, because a lot of games will make a note of that and be like, yeah, you know, it's it's whatever. Have fun at your table. Do your thing. Do whatever you got to do. But by the way, I have very specific rules for you about how much your your clothes and your, uh, you know, your possessions weigh and how fast you can travel on any given day and exactly how far you can you can and can't see based on very specific light levels and yada, 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 right? They There are a lot of games that don't leave much to the imagination. There are a lot that leave it very wide open. And so it's something that I feel like we almost don't give enough credence to. Yeah. 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 The other thing about house rules that I find fascinating is a lot of them don't actually involve the game we're playing. They come from other games. 
Yeah, absolutely. In the first time that I actually played a role playing game, somebody was giving us that was giving us a science fiction campaign and said, oh, I'm pulling this rule set from D&D because it tended to work so well in D&D. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until sometime later that I realized, wow, that really does not work with this rule set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and I tend yeah. to pull in uh, bits and pieces of Rollmaster no matter what I'm playing. Yeah, that's I think fair. one of the one of the f- favorite ones that I've ever heard of was um, I listened to the Adventure Zone a fair amount. Um, uh, it, it, for, for the record, the Adventure Zone is not safe for work, but they did a sort of a mini campaign using a Powered by the Apocalypse rules set. And uh, the DM at the time, Travis, was like, OK, so this is going to work like this and this and this. And I'm going to do this mechanic. I don't know if it's going to work or not. And then one of the players, Griffin, was like, hey, so like, did you take that intentionally from this other Powered by the Apocalypse game? Oh my gosh. And, and Travis was like, no. <laughs> it just sort of accidentally happened to be a uh, time measurement mechanic for uh, like mystery games that he huh. just sort of happened to stumble upon slash makeup himself that was also from another powered by the apocalypse game some rules or at least concepts are like more stealable than others right like for sure two of the examples that i think should show up in more people's games even if they just have to get there via house rule are aspects from fate because those are awesome they're a nice Mm -hmm. way of uh describing your player character and the second one is the idea in gumshoe that you always get the key information. What you're rolling for is to see if you get anything extra and how well the circumstances around that go. I like both of those ideas a lot because the first one, especially in like an F20 style game, they I should say back up a little bit and say they largely fixed this with 5e with like the bonds and flaws and personality traits and that sort of thing. But in previous F20 games, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff to hang your hat on in terms of your character's background or personality other than their alignment, which is just, you know, a three by three grid. Having something like aspects that you could pull in from something else gave you a chance to make characters that are more character-y than just a character Mm -hmm. sheet full of numbers and stuff. And then the gumshoe thing just keeps the game moving, which is always good, especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking about adult players with limited schedules instead of teenagers and college people who have the luxury of 10 to 12 hour sessions sometimes. And it's always a crummy situation when a bad roll brings the entire game to a halt because you can't progress. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, miserable. Yeah, ma- making plot progression dependent on pass-fail rolls is generally just bad session and story and game design anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, never yeah. never a hard no. Never a hard no. Like, oh, uh, no, you just can't. Always no and or no but. But I, I have a, a, a – let's talk about inherited rules a little bit here. Does anybody know what happens when you roll a one in 5th edition D&D? Nothing. Like how you, many you fail. people are how many people are playing D anD D fifth edition right now with critical failures? Do you think probably something Just like twenty five percent of the people of playing it? It's very fun. It is fun. It mathematically is you know not great. Five percent chance of a critical fail is how fun it is depends on what your GM is like. Really, well, that's mm-hmm. certainly true. Yes, but here's the thing: the natural one as a failure has not been in D anD D for two editions. Mm-hmm. 
we still carry that baggage around with us <laughs> because it it was a thing at, at the start of it. And it makes it, there's a certain mathematical like balance to it. Well, if a 20 is a natural success, surely a one is a, you know, a critical failure, right? I, you know, it sort of works. You get opposite ends of the die. But it's not a rule anymore and people still play with it. It's a rule that we inherit from the arcane traditions that we pass down in how we've played D&D. What's worse is when that crept into D6, because there's a mechanic in in some of the editions called a wild die. If you mm -hmm. roll a six, well, you count that six and then you roll it again and you can explode the die. As long as it keeps rolling sixes, you add that to your score. So you can roll 23 on two dice. If you roll a one, then it's supposed to introduce a complication. And people have inherited that critical failure from D&D &D and say, mm -hmm. well, if you roll a one on that wild die, then it's a critical failure. And it's right. that is mathematically so much worse on a oh, six sided yeah. die than a 20 sided die. Oh, it's brutal. I can't even imagine how you would have a successful campaign if you critically fail that often. What's even more mind boggling is later editions of the game actually started to evolve to making it a critical fail. And they just sort of oh, adopted no. that misunderstanding. Like, uh, no, that edition, that doesn't, that doesn't exist. <laughs> Hard stop. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this, we do carry this, this baggage from earlier editions and <sighs> gaming is this weird apprenticeship model still for a lot of people <laughs> yeah. where you learn from someone else one other thing i want to address going into here because this is something that i've i've noticed and i've suffered from myself is especially people who started D, &D with third edition and are now playing fifth setting dc's too high 5e has bounded accuracy but that doesn't just affect combat it affects basically everything that proficiency bonus is is king right mm -hmm. so if you set a dc of 30 for some skill check ain't nobody gonna pass that even at level 20 on a lot of cases yeah yeah it, th that's bad habits listen i played a lot of dna third edition i still call for a lot of will saves will saves mm -hmm. aren't a thing anymore yeah it's wisdom saves but yeah, yeah. or or some other save. or reflex save instead of dexterity yeah oh well, yeah well, a lot of that yeah yeah it's it's these are things we do. And and like I said, role-playing games have this weird apprenticeship model of how we learn to play because you, you always start playing with other people. And it's it's rare, not, un, not unheard of by any means, but rare for people to all go into a game together without any previous experience and including the GM. It's also rare for everybody to have the rule book. Mm -hmm. yes. Because the rule mm. books are expensive. The, yeah. Like the vast majority of the time, the GM and maybe a couple other players have a few rule books. A lot of the time, the individual rule books are sort of shared by the group. So like mm -hmm. one person will have the DMG, one person will have the monster manual, one person will have the PHB. Yeah, you might be thing. lucky and have like two PHBs floating around the table. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how we used to do it. That's that's exactly it. I remember back in the the third edition splat book days when we, when you went to game, you had your crate of splat books to bring along for reference for the rules you were using. And, you know, everybody showed up with their own crate. I had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had an entire four foot bookcase filled with first and third party stuff during that era. <laughs> yep. So I mean, that's that's how you did it. But not everyone has the rules. And so you're right, Jenny, you have to kind of just go off what you remember. And some of that 
ends up being house rules. Guys, I don't even want to look it up right now. Let's just house rule does this and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. a lot. But also it's like, I kind of remember it worked like this or yeah, this seems right from what I, from this other thing. I mean, my, my GM I played with for a long time, he did a lot of second edition rules in his third edition game because that's what he grew up with. And that's what he was bringing a, a mental idea of Dungeons and Dragons into the game from. I mean, the idea of a critical failure or a nat 20 at this point is almost in the cultural zeitgeist. People who aren't gamers at all know those terms. So when they sit down to actually start rolling D20s, I bet they kind of go, oh, yeah, I rolled a 20. That's great. That's a crit. Oh, I rolled a one. Oh, that, that's a that's a critical as well, but the wrong kind. That's terrible. <laughs> they also probably know the alignment chart if they're doing something of 20, because that's also crept into the cultural zeitgeist. It's also more of a meme these days. Like a lot of people that I wouldn't think of like ever having heard of D&D know like lawful good versus chaotic evil. Like they they know the three by three grid. They have no idea what D&D is, but they know. Yeah, I mean, they might have only seen it with sandwiches, but they've seen it before. One of the most hysterical things is some of the people that had railed on me for getting onto RPGs at all, not even getting into D&D, but RPGs at all are now posting some of these these alignment memes. And I'm like, (laughs) do you you know where that? No, we'll just we'll just let that be. Let let it be for about eight years and then there you go. (laughs) Watch him have an existential crisis. (laughs) The thing is, though, it's not just the game system where we introduce these these house rules and and unwritten rules, we kind of have group rules of how you behave at the table and how gameplay is expected to go. Like, I I think the one we all know is don't split the party. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a song about it. Yeah. You don't split the party. I've heard it screamed in movie theaters. Don't split the party. Yeah, exactly. My (laughs) wife uses it all the time when talking about terrible sci-fi movies, you know? It's... Because that's a trope, right? Everybody splits up and then bad thing has happened to someone because the serial killer or monster or whatever picks off less important protagonists. You don't split the party. In some ways, this comes out of a very practical at the table level, like not even in game. But I I usually have no problem splitting mm-hmm. the party. And so I was playing – I was GMing a Doctor Who game and somebody said, I want to go off and check on that. And I'll come with you. And they, they wound up going three ways. And somebody said, don't split the party. And I'm thinking, I have spent my GM career splitting the party. We're (laughs) going to let this happen. You're right that if you're a good GM, it's easy to handle. And if the players are cooperative and patient, it's easy to handle. When you have a bunch of people fighting for attention, it gets problematic. Yeah. Well, we split the party all the time in your Eberron mm-hmm. game. This particular group, I, I had never split the party with them before, and I found there was a very different set of group dynamics. And I realized very quick, quickly, oh, wow, they are not as easily invested in each other's story, especially when we have so many other distractions surrounding us. And it, that was environmental. There are a few other things going on. And that group, it took them about three different sessions to move through what I expected to be one or two sessions worth of adventure, just because it was hard to bring everybody back in attention wise and investment wise into the story. Mm -hmm. So lesson learned there. 
So there are some probably practical reasons if you have trouble transitioning and keeping people's attention. The other thing, though, with that particular one is it can be kind of a canary in the coal mine that these people have had a really harsh GM before. Like if splitting the party, even like in town, is an excellent way for, you know, the GM to just pick off whoever's isolated, then it becomes a survival thing. This kind of goes back to the um, bad GMing tradition episode we did a year or two back. And and Peter's ever present gaming trauma. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been through some bad stuff in games before. But yep. Yeah. But when you set the stage right, letting people explore their own paths through an adventure can be one of the most memorable game sessions that you can have. There's there's one going back, oh gosh, I think it must have been 15 years ago and people are still talking about it. When people were infiltrating this high-rise building trying to protect this imperial senator who was switching over to the rebellion, and everybody said, okay, we're going to go in at different angles to make sure that we can we can get to the senator first. As they went their separate ways, they wound up doing things like shutting off the power grid to this area of the building, or somebody had a fight in this area of the building, but all of these actions impacted the rest of the party. So you shut down the power, but these two that are in the elevator, now their elevator has stopped. And so they have to shimmy up the the elevator shaft. And the people having a fight, they opened up the elevator shaft and they used force push. Well, these people who are climbing up all of a sudden saw a couple <laughs> of bodies just fly past. I'm like, what? what was, what's going on? What, what's going on up there? Until we actually finally brought everybody together, but they felt like they were together because all of their actions had noticeable consequences on all the rest of the party. I got to say, that sounds incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I think the secret is you kept them all interacting, even though they weren't present. And it sounds like you're passing the spotlight around pretty quickly. Very quickly. That, I think, is one of the the things that trips people up and why they don't want to split the party. A, there's the whole, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're going to be weak when the GM inevitably ambushes us with, you know, ankegs or whatever. But also... We get stuck on this one character or two characters scene for the whole session and the rest of the party sitting there going, I'm glad I have my phone with me. Yeah, that that tends to make things pretty tedious. If But like what you're describing, I, you know, sign me up tonight. Like that sounds amazing. The other one that I think is a very common regular rule is no PVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, like that's that's one that I don't want to see because I. A big chunk of the gaming trauma that um, Grant just referenced, but I don't think I've ever actually told this story. I my character was killed because of an offhand comment I made out of game oh. to a visiting player, and oh, the GM no. was fine with it. Oh, that is not good. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. But you know, in our games, we have like a very hard, explicit rule: no player versus player combat. Even though, you know, there are games where that can come up and I would love to play those at some point. But, you know, mm-hmm. the rest of the group's like, nope, that's I don't want to deal with that. It's got a lot of issues and it does have various issues. You know, that's fine. But it's a big no, no for a lot of our group. I mean, generally, if, if the idea is collaboratively telling a mm-hmm. story and using group problem solving skills, if you have to roll initiative against somebody else then that's probably some at-table aggression 
that you're using your characters as avatars to dominate your concept over somebody else. Yep. It's exactly what happened to me that time. Especially if it's spontaneous. Like, I have been in games where we have talked out the possibility of PvP well in advance. Like, we've... It would have been a more extreme version of Peter when your character got corrupted by by that sword. Am, am I recalling that correctly? Yeah, yeah, the cursed sword arc, yeah. It was sort of... That PvP was the culmination of a corruption and healing corruption arc. So it it was expected. Everybody saw it coming. But when it is spontaneous like that, that can be a very hard line for a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, the one um, time that I, like, spontaneously initiated PvP at a gaming table, it was because something that another player character had done so upset me out of game. I wrote a blog post about this called Going on Tilt. We'll have to link it in the show notes. But... It was like, I felt like I had no other recourse to stop something that I just couldn't handle from happening at the table. Mm-hmm. And the guy wasn't budging. So it was like... Did you telegraph that uh, in the metagame prior to uh, taking your action? I, I actually... I tried to. And he was like, no, this is what I do. And then I kind of like... Like I said, I kind of tilted. And then eventually, you know, I kind of realized that I was being a little more disruptive and i i was like you know what it was a con game i was like you know what this is really not in a place where i can keep doing this anymore i am going to you know why don't you guys just write my character out of this thing and you know you all have fun and the gm was like no no, no sit down and he he fixed it he did a really good job but it was mm-hmm. you know i mean sometimes like that pvp stuff is not somebody being a jerk sometimes that's somebody really being upset and mm-hmm. you know but it's it's still a sign that something has broken. It's a point where players like players are maybe so uncomfortable and they're not listening to each other. That's certainly right. But also it can be my player, my character motivations running into your character motivation. And the only way we've figured out how to resolve this is fighting each other because that's what our game is about. It's fighting fights. Rather than, hey, let's let's have a tense conversation about it in character and let's, you know, have a dramatic push and pull. On the other side of it, um, there are times if the stakes are low enough, then player versus player combat or, or conflict can be a great source of tension and drama. But you have to have a group that's comfortable with it and you have to have a system that accommodates it so that there's not going to be permanent uh, consequences or at least consequences that can't be overcome that's one of the things i like about primetime adventures is that unless a player decides hey my character is dying at this point the characters aren't going to die they've got a plot shield Um, primetime adventures is set up to mimic uh, network television and so you know at the end of the show macgyver is going to survive there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to kill macgyver and so macgyver can get a get in a fight with pete if he needs to although that would be a really bad fight because Pete's not exactly what you'd call a combat wombat, but that's beside the point. Um, (laughs) If your stakes are low, if you know, Hey, my guy's not going to die from this, then if it's dramatic and if it's going to make for a good game, then player versus player combat could be okay. Another good example is tales from the loop because one of the rules in that game is that the kids cannot die. Death isn't part of that game. If two kids get in a fist fight, you know, they might bloody each other's noses, get some black eyes. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're probably still going to be friends because that's 
how kids are, and so and that's how Tales from the Loop, Tales from the Loop plays. Yeah, Tales from the Loop is kind of intended to um, replicate like the Stranger Things or Spielberg movie, like E.T. kind of a feel, right? Exactly. Yeah, you don't see kids getting killed in those. <laughs> nope. Yeah, scared silly, but not killed. <laughs> One of the things that's weird is that I have actually had uh, my wife Kaja in the middle of a scene just roll out and declare. I cold clock Sydney, which everybody, there was the record scratch moment and both I as the GM and Sydney said, what? And, <laughs> but no, you, you can't. What? Wait, what? And what had happened in that game is it was kind of a spontaneous, just throw it together. And I said, okay, you all want to try role playing couple of you have role-played before. That's fine. I've got this adventure off the top of my head. I've done it enough. Let's run this scenario. And my wife said, no, we're, I've done that scenario six times. And I said, but <laughs> hasn't it been different every time I've done it? And she's like, yes, but what more could you possibly do? And as I was handing out the pre-gens and their equipment, I had written on her equipment you are a deep cover imperial agent. Make sure the hostage dies. Don't blow your cover. And I said, are we good? And she's like, yep, we're okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> and so what it was is she and the her character and another of the PCs were alone guarding this particular corner and she needed to accomplish her secret objective. And so she says, but of the out of the rifle back of the skull she's not looking we're gonna we're gonna lie through this later and so she knocked her clean out and darn near killed the hostage at that juncture and when the other character came through there was this cover story of why they were both unconscious and action happened and so they couldn't their characters couldn't reconcile it so they had to move the drama on as all the players suddenly realized we have a traitor while none of the characters realized they had a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> and those kind of moments are great in gaming because it's, you know, that's where, like, you being both the author and the audience really, you know, that gap in knowledge is really fun when it happens. I think there's one other really big rule that we need to talk about, and this is unwritten. I, I don't think even most uh, gaming books try to address this, how to handle absent players. Yeah. This one, I know that my group, my home group, is really weird in, in that there is never an excuse. It's it's never like, oh, so-and-so is, you know, called away to take care of their sick granny or anything like that. It's, it's never anything like that. It's just like, this character just isn't here today. <laughs> <laughs> and there's never a reason it's not seen as weird by any of the PCs. They're just not there today. I got to be honest with you. I prefer that. Mm -hmm. People just phase out of reality every once in a while. He, this character is off uh, studying. Like, it just, it feels gimmicky and weird. And then Very much. You know, when they show back up halfway through a dungeon, it's like, well, now why are they here? Yeah, like when this was especially relevant in high school when he we would have like seven people, seven players at the table. Wow. Like just just no, we don't have 
the capacity to deal with the plot and the combat and everything else. Like, every now and then, if our healer was gone, we would just use her healing spells. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Just the healing spells happened. The character wasn't there, but the healing spells sure happened. And yeah, we just sort of dealt with it like that. It was, we were also much more of a strategic group at that point. It was much less about the role play or story or anything like that. It was a very tactical group. So one thing or one person that I think does a really good job with actually coming up with reasons for characters to be absent, though, is Ryan from City on a Hill. Yes. Like when Grant, when you were out briefly for my stupid face, the, the yeah, the Sorry, the the Bell's palsy issue that you were having. My brain like dropped the uh, <laughs> the name of it, and that's why I went there. with my stupid face because it's my stupid face, <laughs> and I can call it that, and so should you. Okay, well, <laughs> when you're out with your stupid Thank face, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, he actually had a really good, interesting reason for you and uh, Vatten. I believe was the other character that was missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to be gone. And then, like, Trether and Vatten had a little side quest thing that they did that also got an episode, right? We came back with an NPC. Yeah, Ryan is Ryan mm. is good about, like, making those things actually like, count for like stuff. Like, we have another party member. Well, that'll be interesting. Okay. Yeah. Teasers? All right. <laughs> <laughs> for us, too, because we're recording the next episode in about a week. And that particular game is is good because it's rather episodic. He ends each session in a place where it would make sense for the party to reconfigure itself a little bit. Very yeah. much, yeah. Yeah, that works well. In our Doctor Who game, when we have somebody take the place of the GM, we treat our characters very much the same way that we treat character absence. And it's just this thing where the person fades into the background and they're there, but they don't do anything unless called upon. I've had a thing where I was GMing for three, four, five sessions, handed it back off to the next GM. And so I had my character say, and I cannot believe you have not listened to me for three months. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, you have kind of an interesting one in here about play-by-post games. I had a long-running Rifts game back in the days before dial-up internet. It had a really long waiting list. I think I had two dozen people who wanted to play in that game, and obviously that's impractical. So I had a rule that if anybody just failed to check in for two weeks, I posted every night. Um, We were all in high school, so it was easy to spend, you know, 45 minutes to an hour writing writing a turn every night. It was considerably longer for me because I had several players to deal with. But The rule was, if you don't check in for two weeks, your character is subject to dying in a glorious heroic death. (laughs) I didn't have to invoke that very often. Most of the time people said, "Okay, well, you know what? I'm going to bow out for a while. And they get get their character to a place where they could just park them and they would be safe from the uh, death hammer. (laughs) But every once in a while, somebody's like, you know what? That guy has not... uh, posted anything for two weeks i've been kind of like making his character do whatever seems most logical and that's just i i can't keep doing that so uh he charges into battle and gets disintegrated by a particle beam or whatever see at least you made it heroic and glorious rather than <laughs> mm-hmm. he died in a replicator accident where he kept <laughs> right. asking for water and never opened the door and drowned in his crew quarters oh yeah <laughs> so good um I did have 
a kind of not heroic death uh, in my uh, most recent uh, primetime adventures game. We had a, a player who showed up for the character generation and the show generation and was never seen again. And in primetime adventures, each character has a spotlight episode where they're the one who's most important in that episode. They get to draw the most cards. They're driving the story. And we got to his episode and he wasn't there. So, you know, I played him as a GM character for a while and we got to the act three. Everything is is turning on its head. And we had this uh, robot character who had kind of a synthetic body dysmorphia. Uh, mm. when he looked in the mirror, he saw a person, even though he was very clearly mechanical <laughs> and that was his, his issue. Uh, and he tended to turn violent when somebody challenged his self-conception and this guy that the absentee player had been playing the tech, uh, the tech wizard. And he was trying to just prove to Bobby, you are a machine, you're a robot, you are, I can turn you off and turn you on. And we all looked at the guy playing the robot, playing Bobby, and he's like, this guy is really pushing my buttons. He is pushing for me to to break. And I said, yes, he is. And he's like, he literally sat there just quiet for two minutes. Yeah, I was just watching the gears turning in his head. And he finally says, I break his neck. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody at the table we were just like holding our breath and we're like we don't know whether to say oh my lord or to cheer <laughs> it was, it was sounds like that was a great decision moment. to make in the moment then if the guy was never going to come back so mm -hmm. and then the robot cremated him to hide the evidence <laughs> <laughs> but that was an extreme case and uh yeah he was he was never coming back to the game i figure if he's missed his uh his spotlight episode he's done for anyway. <laughs> yeah. So some of the other common options are absent players will get played by the, or they will have their characters played by the GM. Uh, they'll sometimes be handed to another player to play. They can just be like mysteriously absent for a while or stay behind to guard the ship or are simply ignored like Jenny's group did. Our group is terrible about dealing with absences. We tend to cancel if anybody can't make it. We're trying to get better about that. Yeah, we are. And the thing is, it, it gets rough when you've got, you know, a small group like ours and more than one person can't make it. So mm -hmm. I, I've mentioned that I'm planning this game for about a year from now um, because it's dependent on some Kickstarter stuff that I'm waiting on that's going to come through like next March. One of the things that I'm doing is because the the party is the primary party is going to be like a Viscount and their entourage. But what I'm also doing is having everybody make a bunch of first level characters instead of the higher level ones that are going to be in the primary party of people who live and work around the manor house, you know, servants and that sort of thing. And if somebody's missing, we play those people instead and the game still happens and their actions can affect the main plot. I will let you know how it works in a year. I That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, you know, it's something new that I'm going to try. It sounds a little bit like how Ars Magica works. Yeah, that's that's the vibe I get off it as I well. I may have unconsciously gotten the idea from that because they talk about Ars Magica and Ken and Robin talk about stuff and I listen to them every week. I would really like to play that game someday. I would too. It seems neat. Complex, but neat. Fun fact, uh, health update, I don't crash anymore. Really? I have awesome. new meds and they don't make me crash. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm good for ages. Great. 
Mike and Brian, you have a lot of stuff written down about rules governing adventure design and, and to a larger degree, GM style. Hit us up with those. Yeah, I started this off when I first started GMing. There were some things that I noticed that my previous GM had done, my first and only, and I noticed some very early mistakes that I had made. And so I have modified my rules and I've scratched them out and I've made several sub points. I'm going to go over them mine kind of quickly. I have a blog post that that goes into a little bit more detail. Okay. Get us the link for that and we'll throw it in the show notes. Absolutely. I don't kill PCs lightly. That if somebody has a bad roll, something fumbles, they don't deserve to die over it. There's always consequences that you can have. Not you fumbled your grenade roll and now you're sitting on it. And so it explodes and um, write up a new character since there's no resurrection in Star Wars. Want to play Doctor Who instead? So what I do is I will give players options. And I won't say that I never kill PCs, but there was one time that somebody said, oh, I've got this really great idea. I'm going to take this hover lift and I'm just going to ram that walker and it's going to go up in a fireball and it's going to explode and it's going to be great. And I said, this is a bad idea. <laughs> and he says, no, it's going to be great. This is, it's going to be fantastic. Your character thinks this is a bad idea. It's like, oh no, I'm going to ram it and it's going to be one. This is the GM as the voice of God telling you that the stats don't work. This is a bad idea. And he said, no, it's going to be fantastic. And I'm like, all right, it's up to the dice then. And if I had not accidentally forgotten about a certain rule for scale, he would have been reduced to ash. <laughs> And I just would have let it happen. Like, I tried three times. I tend to let people know that this could be pretty deadly before they decide, so they can properly make choices with their character. The second rule I have is make characters' choices count. You never want them to be faced with a lady or the tiger situation, where if you have read the short story, somebody has to choose to open a door. Door A has a lady. B, there's a tiger. One, he gets to live. The other one, he gets mauled. And he doesn't know which choice he's being directed at. People should have the ability to have informed decisions. And when they, not to say that there isn't an element of surprise, but when somebody makes a choice, it should be an informed choice and they should have direct consequences or slightly delayed consequences for their character's actions. There's nothing more disheartening than the time that I was told, okay, you're at a crossroads. Do you want to go left or right? Mm. And it determined the entire course of the adventure. But we had no idea. Oh. <sighs> and after afterwards, the GM was like, see, look, I gave you guys more choice. Yeah. <laughs> or meaningful choice. Yeah. Not more informed choice. Or even choice that you knew you were really making. Informed choice in in one sense can mean that you have some idea of, you know, the, the options that you're choosing from. If you don't know that you're choosing at all, that's even worse, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely like the, yep. the make sure that their choices matter thing. That's a very good one. The next idea that I have written down, my rule number three, 
their ideas are better than your ideas. Really, this is a pretty grand way of just saying, keep the game open. Uh, don't railroad them. An ex- a counterexample to their ideas are better than your ideas is there was a group of players that was presented with a challenge. And what they thought is, do you know what I'll do? We'll do is we'll get together a zombie army and we'll lead the zombie army and we'll free the kingdom and so and so and so forth. And the GM just shut that down. And after following the courses of the adventure, they found out that in the GM notes, there was raise a vampire army and lead the vampire army to... (laughs) (sighs) So I've expanded this lately, even in my game sessions, as uh, we quote a uh, late 19th century uh, holiness preacher, Phoebe Palmer, which is name it and claim it. (laughs) Like, if there is... Not something that is defined in the GM notes, not defined at heck, not, not even defined verbally. It could be in my notes that something is so, but if it's not been said, it's not necessarily so. So one of my players wanted to, wanted to use some familial connection that she could lie about. And so she said, well, okay, since the person we're looking for is obviously of the Runian race and the other players just said, name it and claim it. I'm like, yep, he's Runian. And (laughs) off we went. So it's a matter of handing narrative control over to the players within certain confines. The next thing I think we've kind of covered this is everyone should get their time to shine. Like, Don't leave somebody unconscious, um, either player or character. It's just not good for the table. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they really want to be left unconscious. We've had a few times where somebody's been like, look, I'm dead on my feet, but I really want to hang out with you guys. Just don't expect anything out of me. It's like, all right, that's fine. More than one player show up mostly unconscious already. So, yeah. yeah. I have had both both a GM and a player fall asleep at the table. Oh. And and we just decided to walk away <laughs> and give them a nice blanket and just like leave them be because they clearly needed it. Yeah, if you're actually falling asleep on the table, like your body is saying, it's we're done. I need some time. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you've got narcolepsy or something, I guess. But <laughs> I did curse up. A character with necrolepsy, but I think that's something different. <laughs> and that sounds amazing. So we'll talk about that at some point, too. Yeah. Also, uh, I have this rule. Uh, the last two rules are keep them challenged and let them have their win. I say keep them challenged because there is nothing more boring than at the end of every session, you get your special magical item, you get a prize and a you did it sticker. If you watch Firefly, these people are always pushing towards the the edge of their margins to make it by. They're scratching to get enough money together. The alliance is always at their heels. But at the same time, you also need to let them have that big success that if their universe is a never ending dumpster fire, they're going to get drama fatigue and they're just going to be done, done, done with that universe. And they want to move on to a different game. So make sure that you have these areas where they feel chased for several sessions, but then they get either their respite or they get their success over the thing that's been chasing them. Yeah. And so those are my GM rules. It's good good advice. Brian, I know you've got some too. 
I do. Uh, some of them overlap with Mike, so I will skip those. Actually, I would say go ahead and hit on them and just do it quickly, just so we can kind of see right. where the, the similarities and differences are. I uh, I try to give each player a little time in each session. Um, I usually do that in the scenario design step. I set up at least one encounter that's specific to each character, so I know, okay, this this character is going to be able to get through this challenge due to their skills, due to their personality or whatever, and that challenge is designed for them. Now, the other characters might find a way to end run around it. That always happens. But at least I've been designing with each character in mind. I also draw hooks from the PC backgrounds. I try to alternate scenarios so that, okay, well, this this scenario is for the hacker. Um, it's going to focus on her. It's going to be drawn out of her background, out of her uh, her previous experiences. And the next one's for the gunslinger. It's going to be about his nemesis and that that nemesis is going to come back and so forth. Um, so that at some point each player feels like, Hey, this, this game is being written for me. The other players are still obviously involved in it. They're, they may be supporting roles and they may be large supporting roles, but I want everybody to feel like, Hey, Brian's got me in mind at least some of the time when he's writing this stuff. Um, there are exceptions. Some players, uh, are not really there to have attention focused on them. They just want to sit back and uh, enjoy being with their friends, and that's fine. Some players will create their own spotlight because they're particularly boisterous. Like, I don't have to design scenarios to highlight James. James is going to be important (laughs) in the game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that'll be me a lot of the time. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to cultivate in my... My youngest daughter, who is now joining the gaming table, the thing that I have really had to learn, I'm, I'm kind of like James in that where the boisterous characters create their own spotlight, but those people who are boisterous players really have to take stock of themselves and say, okay, how is it that I create space for my fellow players? And how does my character create space for those fellow characters? Because exactly the thing where if you are too boisterous, you, you don't you don't want to you don't mind creating your own spotlight, but you don't want to have that spotlight always on your character. Yeah. And those players can be really powerful in helping to spotlight the other players. You know, I know that I'm going to draw a lot of attention to myself so I can take that and I can deflect it off to somebody who maybe has a hard time breaking in. Related to that a little bit is uh I like to try and identify and cater to the different player agendas at my table. I know the the big model, what they call the GNS, uh, gamist, narrativist, and storyteller, is kind of out of fashion, but it's still useful in that if you can figure out why a particular player is coming to the table, why they want to play a game, then you can do a better job of giving them what's going to feed that uh, that desire that they have. But that's not the only type of agenda there is. Like uh, social interaction style is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, some player, some players would prefer to narrate their character as though they're describing in third person. Federnik swings his sword, and others prefer to say in character, "I swing my sword." Being able to recognize that, I don't know if I'm going to verbalize this very well. Recognizing that particular style will let you present to them options and uh, role-playing opportunities that are more suited to them. There was a discussion on Twitter just recently about whether or not 
it was appropriate to force someone to role play through an encounter when all they really wanted to do was roll dice because they have a high charisma. And I can't come down on either side of that. I was like, you know what? For the person who wants to role play through the conversation, they should be able to role play through the conversation. If they are talking the Imperial Stormtrooper out of their blaster rifle, yeah, they should have to roll for that at the end of it, but they should also get a bonus. And again, I'm poking at James. <laughs> but on the other hand, if they're like, you know what? I'm not very well-spoken. I don't think on my feet very well. Can I just roll the dice and get through it? And I was like, sure, yeah. yeah. Can you give me a tactic? Maybe they can, maybe they can't. But if I'm me personally, I am not very uh, fast on my feet. And if I try to play a bard, I'm going to be really relying on the fact my charisma is 18. I shouldn't have to role play through this. I'm just going to roll the freaking dice. That's actually <laughs> my take on it. A lot of times it's not that I'm necessarily always bad at role playing. I just don't want to do it constantly and try and convince the GM of something. I've got the high charisma score. Can we please just let me justify the obvious stuff? Yeah, and you're very good about doing that when the shoe's on the other foot, too. There have been so many times where I've been like, look, I just want to convince it or, you know, or explain or this or that to an NPC. And you're like, all right. On the flip side of that, I have a brand spanking new player at my table, never done any sort of role playing before. And so we've been working this out over a period of months, and she wants to try this bluff role against an imperial bureaucrat. And I say, okay, so what do you say? And she takes a moment and she puts on this amazing performance at the table. Like she is nearly tearing up, pleading with this bureaucrat to help her on. And it's a lie to, to find this long lost. <laughs> so, so, and so I think he's dead with the family just wants to give him a proper burial. We just want to just help us find. And it was such a convincing performance. I just said, you know, the dice roll is perfunctory, but just roll them and tell me what the number is. Cause Right. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I love those moments. They are fantastic. And they're always even better coming from new players. They really are. Yeah. But yeah, our new player is also awesome. It's never, never with a blaster. Do we make somebody say, OK, can can you can you take this Nerf gun and actually hit those cans over there? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or. Yeah. All right. So um, first of all, can you actually pick up the great sword that your barbarian is using? It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I work in an office. I can't fight competently with a two-handed axe. What are you talking about? Oh, you so need to come to Geek at Arms when we start talking about medieval reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> but to go on. That was about all I had for that. It's just, you know, we, do, we don't do it with the physical stuff. We don't force the rogue to demonstrate that they know parkour in order to shimmy up the side of a building, you know? Look, I don't know. Maybe you don't. <laughs> Yeah. You don't either. I've been gaming with you for like seven years at this point. You don't know what I'm doing. After after three <laughs> Bruce screens, he decided to, to, to nix that policy. <laughs> Fun fact, if you guys do want to talk about medieval reenactment, I was in the SCA from like babyhood. So like I'm no totally way. ready to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Rapier and dagger and fencing was my was my thing. So we'll talk. We'll talk later. We, we'll talk later about it. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there are some players that are there to play the game. And this is me. I'm not very good at unstructured socializing. I need something to, to tell me when it's my turn to talk and what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, otherwise, I get 
kind of nervous, particularly in groups larger than, say, four. And so being able to recognize that, you know, this guy's just going to back off and sit in the corner while the game is not actually going on is an important thing to realize and to know, okay, no, he's not checking out. He's just, he's here for the game. And so we need to be aware of that. And there's others that are present primarily to spend time with friends, regardless of what's going on. I had one player like that in the in the primetime adventures game where he was just there to hang out with his friends. And when it came time for his turn, he would do the most laid back, non-proactive actions. Like they were infiltrating the dentist's office to to try and find out what's going on with the mayor. The mayor has a dentist appointment. And so he goes and he gets into the, the room next to where the mayor is. And we say, OK, well, what, what, what are you doing in there? He says, well, I'm at the dentist. I guess I'm getting my teeth cleaned. he's got his radio and he's he's relaying back what he's hearing through the wall but he's there getting his teeth clean (laughs) that's okay Uh, (laughs) he's relaying it back through the radio while getting your teeth clean he was waiting for while the hygienist steps out right (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the diddle hygienist just leans over, repeats it for him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know how they are. They they come in and they put the, the paper bib on you and then they leave for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're right. And then, of course, you know, the, it's, the technicians come in, done the cleaning, and then you got to wait 15 minutes for the dentist to actually show up, take a quick look at your teeth. Yep, you still have them. Yep. You, then you can actually go. So there was plenty of time for him to listen through the wall. But, yeah, he he just sat there and he got his teeth cleaned and he... Paid the bill when he was done. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Any other rules? No, I think I'm done with the rules that I wanted to talk about at this point. There is one type of rule that I want to talk about real quick, and that's bad rules. There are a bunch of these, and generally speaking, I think all the ones that at least we've got in our our list to talk about here are rules that blur the in-game and out-of-game barrier in bad ways. There are rules that, for example, try and fix out-of-game group problems through some sort of in-game action. Mm. You know, oh, are you complaining about the game to the GM? Have an in-game punishment. No, please no. Stop. No. Bad. Never. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, in my first GMing experience was guilty of that so i was trying to describe a scenario and one of the players kept interrupting me as i was trying to describe the scenario of like no but what was that scratching sound like i'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to tell you about the scratching sound of the well no tell me what it is tell me what it is right now tell me what that sound is i want to know and i said fine it jumps out of the shadows and it's biting you you're taking damage and i'm like looking back on that i realized wow that was so petty. Yeah. It's not an uncommon story, but it's basically, hey, I'm getting annoyed with you. I'm going to take that frustration out on you, as especially as a GM, when you can just say this is a thing that happens and thus it is. And there's that un- mm-hmm. you're basically saying I'm going to take advantage of this unfair power balance that exists with that to create the game fiction. Yeah, it's absolutely abusive power. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think that there are good ways to do something similar to what you did. Like, I have had GMs that state straight out, hey, if you guys keep dilly-dallying, I am going to have a timer. And when that timer runs out, 
bad things are going to happen, but they're generally like stated out front. And it's I've, I've mostly seen it at convention games where there is an actual time limit on the slot. I mean, to a certain right. degree, that's just table management and trying to move yeah. things along rather than trying to fix a a group conflict. Yeah. 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 Um, and of course, uh, the other one that's so frustrating and I I listen to System Mastery and they they've reviewed several games that have really awful things like this where it's like, oh, did something bad happen to your character in the game? Like, is your character dead? You have to go, you know, leave the table for the night or something really dumb oh, like wow. that. And wow, uh, it's one of them suggested having the character go sit in a corner and, or have the player go sit in a corner and read a dictionary. Yeah, that what? was literally in the rule book for I forget what game that was. Some, but I some I remember game. hearing that episode too, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> yeah, that's all. Yeah, it's real bad, and you usually it's like, "Oh, your character died." Stop having fun. It's no, don't do that. In both cases, these are written rules, but they have filtered down into unwritten rules of how GMs handle these events and how they handle problems and they're terrible and need to stop. Yeah, there there seems to be a I don't even want to call it old school or Gygaxian because I, I think I don't think Gary was this bad, but there's there seems to be this drunk with power sadistic GMing tradition out there where it's like any chance I get to make my players miserable that I don't take is a missed opportunity. And it's like Really? Seriously, dude? That's how you're going to run this game? Like, you should not be in the GM's chair if that's yeah. your attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's taking care of that power imbalance and then projecting it onto the player as opposed to the character. Yeah. Which is awful. We can also talk a little bit about, you know, personal play styles. I, I think this is, I'm not even sure how much of this is rules so much as just good advice. Yeah. You know, yeah. but there are some some unwritten rules, like if you have an idea of what the GM is planning, don't purposely screw that up. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. We don't. That's a, that's a lot of yes, because it's really obvious. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, that I do like that you also have in here is don't be a slave to the GM's plans either. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you have something that you can tell they're they're kind of expecting you to go, you know, one way, but you have something that is legitimately different or cool or is especially like appropriate to your character that isn't like nasty or disruptive or utterly suicidal or unless it's like a heroic sacrifice that you're prepared for or something. Yeah, go ahead and do that. I mean, the some of the most fun that I have as a GM is when my players do something unexpected. I've talked about Melgar to death, yes. but like the unexpected, re you know, like sparing befriending redemption and turning into an ally of what was supposed to be a throwaway combat encounter was awesome. And that motorcycle D and D game that I ran a while ago, it, you know, I'm going to remember that forever. I mean, that was so cool, but yeah, there are, there are rules like this that I think we are all kind of aware of it as players, which are also are nice. I think a big one too. You're not the main character. Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah, that that's that's always important. And it's the sharing the spotlight rule, but from the player perspective as opposed to the GM's perspective. And that's mm -hmm. that's a very important one. I've actually had somebody at the table say, well, we're all we're all trying to figure out how we're going to overcome this this massive challenge. They said, I have an idea. Do you trust me? 
I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, a player character. Of course not. <laughs> not even a little. Why, why would we do that? <laughs> it's like, no, come on. It's going to be really cool. Like, that is somebody who is very used to television shows and seeing a main character. Right. But this is also somebody who has a long history of having one-on-one conversations with the GM in character. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, the gaming perspective seemed to have been that was the main character. Yeah, that's always, Mm. it's a hard habit to break. That's really what it is. Yeah. And I think it's, speaking of somebody who has to do this himself, it's one that you have to break over and over and over again. It it seems like... Mm. If you are kind of the alpha gamer who's just really enthusiastic about the hobby and stuff like that, you kind of got to keep reminding yourself, no, no, back up, make space, you know, let other people do their thing. And that's kind of why I codify these as rules for myself, uh, because I know in the moment when you're playing, you tend to just be yourself or more uh, hopefully be your character. But by having this out in the front of my brain saying, I'm going to take a few moments at this point or at some point during the game to talk to one of the other player characters and ask them about their history, or I'm going to be deliberately looking for whoever's not talking very much and try to throw some decisions their way, throw, throw some attention their way. Um, because if I don't think about it, if I don't make that a rule for myself, then I'm not going to do it. Yeah. That's a good practice. It should maybe be noted that these house rules, these unwritten rules, they're not limited to tabletop role-playing games. Free parking rule, Monopoly, I think we're all familiar with that one. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I've got so many board games on my shelf that, like, I've been playing with my parents, and we just look at a, a rule, and we look at a situation, and we look at the rule again, and we say... Well, that's just stupid and no fun. And then we do the fun thing. <laughs> and um, we have not yet physically written into any rule books that's stupid. We're doing something else. But, like, it's gotten pretty close sometimes. <laughs> I can think um, of no better purpose for a red marker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Have any of you ever played Monopoly where you auction off the properties if the person who lands on it doesn't buy it? Yes. I have not. I kind of went to at some point. We, we did that when I was in elementary school and we had one of my friends over and she is very, she's, she, at the, at the time, I have not seen her since we were like 11, but, um, <laughs> at the time she was very rules oriented. And, um, when we played Monopoly, she got to play the banker and lawyer. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like she, she didn't have a, a marker on the board at all. She was the banker and lawyer cause she liked math and she liked rules. And so oh, she wow. would be also the auctioneer. <laughs> so, yes, I, I have actually played Monopoly um, where we had to auction off something. But even she followed the house rule of the free parking stuff. Yeah, I don't think I've ever met anybody who played it that way. Sounds like you played Monopoly the role playing game. <laughs> I mean, she played Monopoly the role playing game. I was a thimble. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, I think that that Jenny is the only person I've ever met who has played with that rule and is right there in the box, but Mm -hmm. nobody uses it. Yeah, I've never played with it. I try not to play Monopoly at all anymore these days. That's good advice. Yeah, it is. I like Adventure Time Monopoly because it has uh, extra rules that are Adventure Time. That's always fun. 
Uh, somebody put this in into our show notes. I don't know which of you, but apparently Uno ruled on things on Twitter. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm reading it right now. I, I, I've heard about this. I, I did not put this in the show yeah, notes, I, but yeah. I clicked through and saw this. This is wild. <laughs> yeah, they've been doing it for a while. There are no, a it's few not. Things. It's the plus two plus four card. Right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I am so glad I'm here to laugh at one of these in person. <laughs> you got me. All right. Anyway, then. No, you, you got me on that one. Ow. <laughs> Anyway, the ruling is that you cannot stack draw two and draw four cards. I gotta be honest. I don't know how you would. I haven't played any of ages, but like, I what they do is apparently people would take a plus two and then or take a plus four and stack a plus two on top of it and make the next person draw six. Well, that I still don't know how the next person would yeah no i don't know yeah okay like i'm not sure why yeah. people are mad at them about this this is right yeah <laughs> I mean, that is the rules as written <laughs> like my point is though if this is how somebody is doing it in in their house that's their house rules if that's if that sort of illogical punishment is how you have fun then it far be it for me to tell you not you know not to do this and so many people jumped on twitter and said they're my cards i bought them i can do with them what i want yeah. I mean, that's fair, but you're still doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played I enough got Uno off. to have an opinion about this. So. I, I, I have not played Uno since I did some work in Romania and played it every day oh. in an elderly club. Oh. Every day. Yeah. That would do it. I learned my colors, though, in Romania. Oh, that's always good. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, so I, there are plenty of other games, I'm sure, that have these these rules that we all just sort of adapt. Like, I'm sure I've played Scrabble wrong and not known it. You know, that sort of thing. A lot, And I suspect a lot of these are classic board games. Like, if we whip out Root or something, we're probably not going to have a lot of house rules right off the bat or unwritten rules. I'm going to contradict you right there. Really? Because I'm looking at, like, five new games on my shelf. Subterra. Uh, Lemuria, Newfoundland Jam, Tea Dragon Society, and um, Munchkin, which we've all house ruled. Okay, I stand corrected. I don't think you can play Munchkin without house ruling it. I don't play Munchkin, but <laughs> and Betrayal Fair. on House on a Hill. I mean, the game is so loose yeah. that if you don't house rule it, then you're you're not going to be able to complete some of the scenarios. <laughs> that's true. At that point, that's yeah. just ending. Yeah. But. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. It is a, and that's, there's actually a, probably a whole different conversation that's related to this talking about hacking games. Oh, true. <gasps> I know some people who we need to get on the mics for that. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Yeah, um, stick a pin in that one and put it into the show ideas or uh, but, documents. But, yep. so. but very quickly, I mean, the line between this is a house rule and this is a hack that I've got might simply be I wrote it down. Yeah. yeah. And I gave it some thought and tr and I think this makes it better and hey, here it is, give it a shot, right? Uh or I took this game and transformed it into a completely different game. Um, certainly, you know, there are hacks of role-playing game systems that are very popular 
literally every Powered by the Apocalypse game. Yeah. Literally every single no, one. No, yeah, absolutely. There's no official document out there, but the the original publishers are very supportive of all of those hacks. So it's kind of an interesting design space where there's no like OGL or anything, but eh, go for it. It's kind of, kind of interesting. Um, the, uh, the other thing I want to touch on very, very quickly, because we, we have gone long and we do need to wrap this up is kind of spreading these rules around where we can get them and where we can talk about them. I mentioned the gauntlet earlier. That's a really good resource for analysis of rules and kind of, getting past some of your assumptions of game design and what good game rules are. There's a lot of, of interesting discussion I've seen on the forums there about um, looking critically at what we assume games are supposed to be like. And that always leads to some very interesting changes in rules and bringing these unwritten rules out to the forefront and analyzing them. That that's always been an, an interesting conversation that I really like hearing people talk about. And Board Game Geek and RPG Geek are wonderful resources, especially Board Game Geek for house rules. Mm. Yeah. Because they have such a broad and diverse community and their discussion forums are so populated, yet still so easy to find things. So You know, for role playing games, honestly, a lot of these are just like <sighs> Again, they get passed around kind of just through the the zeitgeist and as people go from group to group, but also like Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds, sounds dumb. We just had a conversation about, you know, quantum ogres today in our Discord channel. And it was great. It was a good conversation about the unwritten rule of if you've got an encounter plan, just make sure your PCs run into it, whatever their decision is. That's a whole conversation we could have. Like that's almost a whole episode topic. But, you know, we had a cool conversation about it on Discord. It's just part of the – it's interesting that the RPG community talks a great deal through whatever medium about these unwritten rules. They're not static. They're not always left as assumptions. I do like that. It's one of the the better parts of our hobby. Very collaborative. It is. Any final thoughts on this? Anything else that we need to touch on? Don't think so. Brian, Mike? I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, I got nothing either. Excellent. Maybe the one thing I want to wrap up with is that don't just think that our unwritten rules are limited to gaming tables. We talked about social uh, expectations earlier. There are unwritten rules of our churches, of our schools, that sort of thing. Those also need to be analyzed and pulled out to the forefront for discussion occasionally. One quick story on this. My my wife went to a church uh, growing up where there was somebody who went around to uh, a local trailer park and collected kids and brought them to church every week. And these were very, very low-income kids. They often didn't necessarily go to church, and so they didn't really know, quote, how to behave in church, a sentence that carries mm. a lot of weight and a lot of assumptions. And they didn't have clothes for church, another sentence that carries a lot of weight and a lot of assumptions. And she got yelled at, and it caused a huge fight in the church for bringing kids to church. The nerve. The nerve. Yeah. How dare yeah. she? Because they didn't want those kinds of kids who didn't know how to behave. In the kingdom of God. 
make sure you're giving some thought to those unwritten rules and determining whether or not they need to be talked about and hashed out and occasionally discarded. Yep. I'd say the vast majority of them are kind of like house house rules for the Bible, which... Uh, yep. There's a lot of those. Yep. That's a pretty big show topic in itself. <laughs> it really is. Oh, yeah. yes. That could be but, a podcast topic in itself. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Oh, man, that is such a good but idea. But that's, that's a reason I read Matthew 23, that 1 to 12. You know, do everything they tell you to, but don't do what they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a reason for that. All right. Well, listen, Brian, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a, a very good conversation. Thanks for sticking around so long. It's going to be a long episode. And it's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah. And it's been fun to be here. Yeah, we've, it has been wonderful. Thank you so yeah, of much. Course. No, thank you again for have, for, for joining us. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> thank we'll have to have you guys could've... back at some point, and then we can continue the thank you yeah. uh, chain here. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And James. We'll have to get James yes, on the mic. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yes. All right. Before you go. Before you go, Geek at Arms, where is it? Uh, Geek at Arms can be found on the web at geekatarms.com. You can find us on Facebook at Geek at Arms. <laughs> it's been a long night, I understand. <laughs> at Geek at Arms. You can find us on Twitter at ArmsGeek. Awesome. Because there's a story there that we won't go into as to why we sound like we're, you know, weightlifters but yeah or weapons nerds or something well that that part or is probably true yeah i, I mean we did mention the sca so yeah yeah that's fair um and your website is at www.geekatarms.com again i would recommend that all of our listeners give geek at arms a listen it's a lot like us in many ways, you know, a serious discussion of topics, a kind of a broader array of topics per episode, I would say. Very much. But very broad. Addressed seriously. And I really appreciate that. Like I said at the top of the show, it's it's a real fun episode, real fun show to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely good. Mm -hmm. Glad you guys enjoy it. All right. Well, if we don't have anything else, we're going to let these guys go. Let them, you know, get their uh, their dinners and all that good stuff. From all of us here at Saving the Game and Geek at Arms, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See you later, folks. Bye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.